Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we discuss hard-won self-defense lessons, as well as the information you need to survive a violent encounter. Listen as armed professionals, industry experts, national champions, and gunfight survivors help answer all your firearms and self-defense questions while exploring your rights and responsibilities as an armed citizen. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. And now, here is your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Coasting with me, the very special Season 5 finale. Um... Danger picks the actual Melody Lauer. Hello. You gotta be more excited. It's it's the end of season five. No, I'm sad because it's the end of season five. Well, that means the next episode will be the beginning of season six. And then I can rejoice and be like, Yay That's true. But um well, I thought you'd be more sad because you don't like things ending. Well, it's not an ending so much as a It's as a pause. A tra- it's a transformation. So Are really in a what- transitional space. No, seriously what's gonna happen is this is gonna be episode two hundred and forty nine. And then 250 will be the beginning of season six. So. I feel like there should be some significance to that number, 250. That's a lot of episodes. That is. Yeah, give me a high five there, Wait, wait, no. wait no, fist bump. Yep. Boom. Boop. There we go. Hey, guess what? What's that, John? This segment brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition at LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of federal premium ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning, you can never have too much ammo. So joining us, and I am super excited about this because um, he, he's, <laughs> he's just awesome, and we'll, we'll, we'll get more in-depth than that in a second is going to be Gabe White. Gabe, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me on. No, no, thank you for coming, and especially for being able to make it for the the season five finale. I wanted to give people something special. Uh, And to the best of my knowledge, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't don't get to look at a bunch of other people's stuff anymore, but you've not really given too many interviews, have you? Uh, Interviews about me? No, not really. I mean, there have been a couple of magazine articles, and I've been on a few podcasts, but most of the podcasts where you would hear my voice talking are discussion-oriented and less interview-me-oriented. Okay. So, uh, okay. That's, but, I mean, there's been some of that. Okay. Um, see, I just need to look – I need to look harder, and this is this is a failing of mine. I – I've only fan I've only fanboyed a little bit, and I need to fanboy harder. Um, for for those that don't know, um, who are you? What do you do? And I'm going to talk you up a little bit after that. So, okay. Well, my name is Gabriel White. Mostly, I go by Gabe. Um, I'm from the time I, I'm a pure private citizen, no military or law enforcement background. From the time I've been a little kid, I've always been interested in the martial arts and self defense, and I've always been studying something, whatever that was at the time. And uh, since I've been 21, so about the last 19 years or so, it's, that's mostly been defensive firearms skills and tactics, most especially with a handgun. So uh, I, can, I can only be understood as a martial arts enthusiast. Right. It's just that the martial arts that I've focused on 
since I've been legally able to do so has been the handgun, mostly the handgun. Right. And, um, and uh, so, so I was, you know, a, a well-established defensive handgun guy. And at some point, uh, I became more aware of the technical skill levels that exist uh, inside and also outside of the, the defensive shooting communities. And uh, as I became aware of those, I kind of went on a went on a big tear of trying to improve my technical skills uh, to a, to a higher level as well as that. Okay. Um, and when you say trying to improve your skills to a higher technical level, you are probably, um, and especially for uh, defensive-minded shooters, the best one there is that I have found. Um, and, and what I mean by that, so there was an interesting thing. I don't – was that TACCON last year that you filmed um, the Course of Fire afterwards? Because you weren't – It was, yeah. Yeah, you weren't able to make it. And what was interesting to me um, is I I managed to squeak out a third-place finish, and then there was an individual whose name I cannot remember, and I, I apologize for that, that, that was in second place, and he beat me by like 0.6 seconds. And then Kirk, um, whose last name I won't use because he's got some per-sec issues uh, – he was in first place and was 1.89 seconds ahead of me. And what was funny to me, Kirk is one of the best shooters that I have ever seen uh, in person. And you uh, filmed yourself running the same course of fire. And I want to say you were 20 seconds ahead of, uh, of Kirk. Something very, it was very profound. I don't think it was 20 seconds. It was a lot. It was, it, well... it was significant. And and I don't I don't and I'm not saying that to to illustrate anything other than you possess a very high level of shooting ability and skill that you've worked very hard for. Well, I really appreciate that, John. Um, I think that there are a couple of rough edges in in the the, the video that you're referencing, where I shot the the, the match course of, of last year's TACCON uh, after it was all done. And the the most important of those is that is that that was me shooting in a comfortable practice environment where mm-hmm. it is the most comfortable. That's the very most comfortable uh, place and circumstance for me to do live fire. Uh, period. Sure. That's at the range where I have access to it. I can go there. I go there when I'm by myself. Nobody's even going to be there to bother me. Ask me any questions. Never mind, you know, friends or peers who are going to create pressure by their very presence. Mm-hmm. Never mind that it's going to be timed and scored. And so, you know, I would thoroughly expect to pay the, you know, 20, 25 percent performance penalty, uh, whether that comes out in hits, time, or some combination of, the, of both. I'd fully expect to pay the, and I know I would pay the, uh, you know, 20, 25 percent performance penalty to put me into a actual on-demand shooting circumstance such as the actual match as opposed to me just shooting it where it's comfy after the fact um and uh you know so 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 to me it was you know it's a fun exercise it, it doesn't mean anything right until i go there and do it at the match that just doesn't mean anything well and and speaking of that you're First actually going to be match. you're going to be teaching it match. yeah you're going to be you're going to be teaching attack on this year correct yes so i'm going to be su- yeah, very fortunate yeah i am i'm super excited you're going to be there and i'm I'm super excited that uh, I will. Are you? You're going to shoot the match, I hope, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I can't not shoot the match. I got. I got to take every chance I have to uh, perform to, to have the opportunity to perform under stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, I think a really, really important thing for me as a private citizen. Since since I don't have the, a role in life, uh, not in 
military, not in law enforcement. I don't have a job that puts me into stressful situations. Uh, that it's, it's that much more important that I subject myself to all the stressors in shooting that I can find in my role in life. And one of those, the most, one of the most important ones, is shooting competitively and in a place like Tacod. How can I not do it? I got to do it. Right. <laughs> right. What um what's your what's your block on it, Tacom, this year? Well, it was an interesting thing because I, I think that um you know, like, I'm new to TACCON, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't have I, I know many of the people who are gonna be teaching there, gonna be attending it. I know and have known them and have known them via reputation. So I have a a concept of some of the people's skill level there, but I have to recognize that there are lots of people that I don't know and so uh logistics ends up driving everything. And so right. for me, what am I gonna teach with TACCON started with a whole lot of emailing with Tom, uh trying to nail down exactly what logistical uh assets I would have to work, what was I going to have to work with? How big is the line? How many people can I put on the line? What kind of targets am I going to have? Am I going to have barrels? Am I going to have this or that or these other things? What am I going to have? And now what's the best thing that I feel like I can do with it uh, that that is, is relevant to the broad scope of attendees, whatever that ends up being, that's mm-hmm. a little bit unknown to me. And so so we kind of designated it as you can't be you can't be a beginner for it. You gotta be able to already keep the gun running and draw from the holster and act safely according to what are currently, you know, typical current range protocols. Um, and what it's gonna be working on uh, is it's gonna be uh, focusing on a couple of things. We're gonna work on a practice progression that I really like, and this is something that we make even more use of in the class that I teach nationally, but we'll make a, a, a smaller use of it in this, which is working on narrowly focused repetitive technical skills work focused on draws, ready positions, and trigger work. And then we're going to take those out of the narrow focus of technical work and put them into what it's really about at the end of the day, which is on-demand performance. And we'll have uh, a couple of courses of fire that are suitable for a square range, live fire environment, bunch of shooters on the line, suitable for that context, uh, and in- attempts to make use of uh, – Attempt to take that on that that technical skills push and bring it into on-demand application, as well as focus on serial tasking, doing lots of specific tasks all in sequence, and some of the the subtleties and nuances that can emerge in the square range live fire environment that address some of the subtleties that exist out in the world that, frankly, a lot of those you end up doing better training and force on force with them, but you can introduce, you can have introductory, uh, very, very base level elements of those even in live fire. And those are some of the things we're going to try to get in there working uh, with in combination with the on-demand shooting. Well, we got about a minute left. Um, so what I'd like to ask you first um, right before the break is what do you think the and just a a quick little blurb and we'll get into more detail what do you think the most difficult part is for everyone uh who's really wanting to shoot to a high level is there one specific area that's like ooh, that's that's the hard one i think it's uh throwing off the yoke of low expectations so that you'll release yourself to go on a really really long and strong tear huh i like that a lot actually 
Um, completely different answer than uh, trigger or you know some other technical element. I think you know for the tech, the, the regular question is answered with a technical uh, answer, right? Trigger, right? Probably trigger application of trigger across all the circumstances that demand it. Sure. That's probably the hardest technical thing. But really, what's going to enable that and all the other things to me is it's it's throwing off the yoke of low expectations. It's a mental and emotional uh, uh, orientation. Nice. Uh, we're talking with Gabe White. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. To Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the new EDCX9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we were talking with uh, with Gabe White, and you said something incredible before the break, and it was that the hardest part for everyone is throwing off the yoke of low expectations. Um, what was that moment for you? Was there anyone in particular that kind of kind of showed you the path or was there an aha moment um what what was it for you uh todd green i gotta give the credit to todd green yes i really do um i had been a a you know like i said at this at this point we're kind of jumping back in my history a ways here but at this point i was you know a well-developed uh tactical defensive handgun shooter uh, as private citizens goes uh, as, as private citizens go i had uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of training had done lots and lots of practice on my own i was an instructor i taught other people i worked under more experienced instructors uh and 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 I had been doing a whole bunch of work uh, for myself in, in refining the draw. I took the, you know, the instructor skills that I had at that point and applied them to myself and was trying to improve the draw. And at this point, I was, I was carrying, you know, with an open front soft shell vest and a strong side IWB holster. And that was great. And it still is great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a really great way to, way to carry. Um, and, uh, and around that time, I became aware of Todd Green. Uh, that he, he was a person. He existed. And here were these very interesting performance numbers. And right, that was right about when I had started. Um, to, to make the leap from, yeah, I'm a defensive guy. That competition stuff probably not real good. Probably just going to get some bad habits. I don't. I don't look at that stuff. You know, make the leap from there to, you know, those people draw their gun really fast. <laughs> yeah, really accurately in a in a time. You know, I know how hard it was for me to like just one time 
get a hit from concealment under 1.5 mm-hmm. uh, on an A zone at seven yards, just like the first time. I know how hard that was. That was a lot of work to get to that point. And so, so by the time I became uh, more aware of where I was at numbers-wise, where uh, this Todd Green guy was at numbers-wise out of appendix carry, uh, that, that in combination with becoming more aware with the, uh, of the uh, technical skills world in the competition shooting community and the numbers that they put up, I kind of got to the point of, of thinking, wow, that's, that's really powerful. I mean, in terms of in terms of the the human performance science that's involved in you know close range deadly force events, uh, you know, the, the the human performance numbers that are involved in that, even from untrained people, especially from untrained people in a way, are re- they're really scary, and uh, and and the kind of times that are considered master and grandmaster level times. To me, it's, in a way, it's becoming it's coming full circle. It's like it's like a person who has uh, who starts out trying with, without any care at all. So think like you know a criminal or somebody. Uh, they don't they don't have to care about background, foreground, bystanders. That's that's not what they care about. Uh, and they they know they already know that they're going to do something to somebody. All they have to do is get themselves in a position to do it uh, effectively. And when people attack at their full natural speed with a handgun, I mean that's that can be some really scary stuff. It's especially when the proximity supports the, the poor level of marksmanship they're likely to have. Right. I mean, the you know, Force Science Research Center has done the research. People, you know, shoot a shot out of a handgun every quarter second when they really try. People can bring the gun from point A to point B. If it's already in the hand, they can get it pointed somewhere else and shooting in about half to three-quarters of a second. We all know the good old Tuller doctrine of one and a half seconds equals 21 feet of travel. You know, it can take five-plus seconds for a person to stop as a result of th- shots to the high thoracic cavity and loss of blood blood pressure and so you know all that all that number all those numbers that's all that's all very very scary stuff in terms of the tiny little margins it can give you which is why there's the quite proper huge focus in most of the tactical world on mindset awareness and tactics so that you can bite off bigger margins bigger chunks of time to deal with those things but at some point it can still come down to the little margins of skill uh, if they do a good job putting you in a difficult position or you know you just get caught unaware which can happen to anybody sure. uh, you know, those little margins can mean something. And so when I started to become aware of the technical skill level that 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 would be recognized as master or grandmaster level of performance in the competitive shooting world with people properly equipped for that world with, you know, race gear and race guns, I thought of how awesome would it be to be able to produce that level of hits on target, that level of shooting performance and gun handling performance, but what with what I really walk around with on a daily basis, and that's been my quest. Well, and, and that actually segues rather nicely. Now, you are currently uh, an M-class shooter in USPSA, uh, yeah. but you're shooting limited, uh, limited minor, and you're shooting it from concealment. That's right. true. Um, and, and for those, the, the reason for that, for anyone that's into, and you're shooting a production gun. I mean, you're running a, a stock lock 34. Uh, the whole reason for limited minor is so that you can carry your holster forward to the hips, right? That's true. There's been a little bit of change to that. I've gotten onto the Gen 517 for now, uh, as a, as a, as a small change to refocus awareness, um, but uh, and and the the Gen three thirty four is not stock. It's very close to stock, but it's not stock. Okay, um, yeah, I actually just started running a Gen five seventeen, and I'm curious to talk to you about that offline cool. and see if you've okay, noticed. Cool. I've I've noticed some differences that I don't know that everyone would notice, but I notice them. So I'm I'm curious if you have too. 
Um, I guess, um, <clears throat> and this is kind of this is kind of esoteric, but it's something that you speak about a lot. Um, it seems like that vision and how people see things is not necessarily discussed quite a bit. And you have some interesting looks at that uh, or some things to say about that. Do you think that was one of the bigger steps for you in your own performance was, was really getting in depth on how human vision works or how your vision works and how to control it? Yeah, I do. I think that that was, uh, that was the last biggest leap up in shooting performance that I've experienced was once I uh, came to my current understanding of vision and how it works, at least for me, and, and having the better conscious manipulation of it uh, has absolutely unequivocally, there is no question in my mind, led to the last biggest jump up in shooting performance that I've had, um, though – there was a bunch of improvement before that for right. a long time. So this is this is this is it, it, ultimately the answer that we've known for what thirty years or approximately of see what you need to see really is the answer. Mm-hmm. It's always driven me kind of nuts because it's a completely empty answer and it provides no direction whatsoever. So I kind of love it and hate it both. Um, It is ultimately the answer, though, because people's eyes and brains and the way they use and interpret the vision, it it does vary quite a bit. Um, So I think there's a lot of room for a lot of ways to do – a lot of people to do things other ways than I do them with vision. But for me, and I think for people that the way I use it, if it works for them, it can be really powerful. Well, and that's – I guess one of the reasons why personally I've been so interested in it, and I didn't realize this until January or so just because I ignored Melody when she told me to go to an eye doctor. Um, But apparently for like the last, oh, six to eight months um, prior to recently, and I actually need to go back, but uh, the best my vision could be corrected to was 2060. Uh, So even even with everything, which, I mean, 2060 is not horrible – um, but it's not real good either. And for me, um, seeing sights, like it's not that I wasn't visually aware of them, but when everyone talks about the traditional hard front sight focus or really any sort of sight focus, that wasn't a thing for me. And I was shooting relatively well for me uh, despite that. And it, it's kind of curious, and you sort of brought it up, um, vision is very dependent on the, the person and 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 I guess their brain, you think? Oh, I, yeah, I absolutely do. I think that there are two there, – there's, there's, there's a couple of major divisions in, in, in the, way, the way people use their vision. One person uses a, a certain way. Other people use it a certain other way. There's a couple of major divisions in how people use it in a shooting. And some of the things that are, that, are, that are frequently talked about, shoot with both eyes open or one eye closed, or do you squint that non-dominant eye? Do you do it some of the time but not all the time? Well, what about shooting target-focused with a high-visibility front side? Do you do that? Well, a lot of people do that. Well, the, all these things, um, and as well as the thing that I do, the shoot all the time with a hard, sharp, and clear front side focus, and both eyes open. Um, th- these are all different ways to address uh, the problems entailed for certain people's eyes and brains in combination with shooting iron-sided guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're intuitively solving some of the problems that are involved. And the, the real, really, the, the, the technical aspects of the vision, I, the thing that I've come to learn more than anything else through my study of this and through discussing it with other people is that 
is that the technical aspects for many people, a lot of the time are like almost not even worth discussing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're very confusing, and all they're doing is, is uh, making somebody re-examine all this stuff that they very intuitively grasped, and they and they just need to uh, just need the 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 methodology to deal with, and in some cases the permission, because I think there are a lot of people that try to really try to bang their head against the wall, trying to shoot with both eyes open, when at a certain point. They might decide this is just not real suitable for me and just go another way. Uh, or same thing with target-focused shooting. You know, maybe they would do well to explore that more and just say, well, you know, I'm just going to go ahead that way. Well, and that's actually a really good place. we we got to go to break. Right now we're talking with Gabe White. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. To Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. This segment brought to you by Surefire. Know your target and what is beyond it. But how can you really know your target? By shining a really bright light at it, and that's where Surefire comes in. From the new 1200 lumen EDCL 2T handheld or 500 lumen EDCL 1T handheld to the 1000 lumen XH35 or 300 lumen XC1B, Surefire can make sure you never have to yell, Aziz, light! Ever again, now, with more lumens and improved switching, the best just got brighter, Surefire. And as a special offer to Ballistic Radio listeners, you can get 20% off everything at the Surefire.com web store, except batteries and suppressors, by entering the discount code AZIZLIGHT, A-Z-I-Z-L-I-G-H-T, no space. So we're talking with Gabe White, and and you said something um, You said something kind of interesting there, and I'd like to touch on that, and I think Melody has a question too, but... Um, People need the permission to to kind of succeed almost or to, to let themselves be better? Or or what do you think that is? Well, I, here's here's what I think. So traditionally, customarily in the in the shooting world, the ideal is that you shoot the iron sided gun with both eyes open and a hard, sharp, clear focus on the front sight. Many people find that that just doesn't work for me because they get a doubled target. Mm-hmm. They get two, two, two targets when they, when they try to do it that way. And so they're intuitive, quite intuitive, and in my opinion now, quite correct practical solution to that is to close or squint their non-dominant eye, which degrades or eliminates the second image, and then they are not confused anymore. And they aim at the right target and with the right sights, and they can see the front sight sharp and clear. Um, <clears throat> 
that closing and squinting is happening because they have a, a very uh, stronger natural linkage between the spot their eyes are pointed at. If you've got two eyes, they're pointed at a spot. That's the spot you're looking at. They have a linkage between the spot they're looking at and the depth or distance they see in sharp and clear focus. Those are actually two separate things, or roughly two separate things, as I may have learned uh, in an exam with a, a real eye professional recently. Uh, some of this was explained to me and maybe maybe refined my understanding of it a little bit, but maybe I'm just a little more, uh, more confused. But it, we were basically in agreement. So, you know, uh, when people have a linkage between you point your eyes at one spot, and that is also the distance that is sharp and clear, uh, if that's the way it works for you, and that's the way it seems to me to work for most people but not everybody, is those, those are the people who squint or close their non-dominant eye because when they get the front sight sharp and clear, they're also looking directly at it, and that causes there to be two targets if they're looking at the same spot as the distance that is sharp and clear. Right. Uh, and so they're solving it by closing or squinting the non-dominant eye. And, and there's, there's, a, there's this whole traditionalist method for moving from, well, I have a hard time shooting without closing or squinting the non-dominant eye, but I recognize that shooting with both eyes open is better because better balance, better depth perception, better peripheral vision, or at least those are the supposed benefits on paper. Uh, and then, uh, so I want to shoot with both eyes open, so how can I learn to do that? And then there's this method, this traditionalist method of lots of occlusion of the non-dominant eye, less occlusion, less occlusion, less occlusion, less occlusion, until it is not occluded, but during the time of it being occluded, you've trained your brain to ignore the image coming from that non-dominant Die. Or at right. least that's the method. And that has worked for lots of people. And there are also lots of people who just bang their head into the, into the wall for like forever with it. And it just never works. Yeah. And I think those people should just go ahead and close or squint that non-dominant eye. Uh, and, and part of the reason I think this, and, and, and you could say the exact same thing, I think it's okay to do a lot of practice with target focused shooting with both eyes open and having blurry sights and a clear target. And learning to shoot that way, especially in combination with a high-visibility front sight, that works especially well. Yep. Uh, I think people should feel free to explore and learn that and make that work real well for them. And the reason I say that about the squinting and closing and the target-focused shooting is that even though I don't shoot either of those ways basically ever, I basically never shoot target-focused, and I basically never uh, shoot with any eye closed. Uh, if, I, if I've got the gun at full extension, I've got both eyes open, and I have hard, sharp, and clear focus on that front sight. Uh, and even though those ways are completely different, it's become very clear to me that at the upper levels of technical shooting, and as just, we'll just use the example of USPSA, uh, there is a whole lot of closing or squinting the non-dominant eye and target-focused shooting going on at least some of the time among the highest echelon of competitors. Mm -hmm. It does mm -hmm. not have to be a handicap. You well, have to make it real sharp is what you have to do. Right. And that goes for me too, my way. Huh. Well, and I think it's really, um, at least for me in particular, I've done all of the methods that you've, you've listed depending on what I need to accomplish. If I'm doing a 25-yard head shot, it's easier for me to close an eye and um, yeah. kind of, like you said, eliminate some of that other information that's coming in. And mm -hmm. I feel like I can be better when I'm really up close. I might use target focus if I'm somewhere in between, you know, a hard front sight to focus. And I think it was, like you said, after a while, just giving myself permission to be like, you know what? No one is going to sit there with a ruler and hit you in the back of the hand if, if you do this differently, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah. As long as, as long as you're, you know, you're doing it well, um, that shouldn't really be a problem, right? Yeah. Well, 
and and let me ask you this um how and and this is this is kind of related but kind of not um but so i i've i've been for years just because that's what i uh settled on uh you know target focus high high front high visibility front sight um you know and, and that's how i've shot now i've recently switched over to running a dot gun um just because it seems to play better with some of my vision issues lately than yeah. um than anything else has because it was just getting to the point where i couldn't shoot irons anymore um which while depressing did force me to learn something new which is always interesting right um but what's been funny for me is i find myself much more visually aware of what the gun is doing with the dot and that's not necessarily a good thing for me because i start thinking about it so right. I guess my question is, how much are you thinking about what you're doing when you're doing it versus just letting it happen? Well, with regard to the sights, I'm just I'm I'm just letting it happen. But I think that the 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 old detached observer thing, you know, when it comes to to to, to working on and recognizing your technical skills and the little subtleties that are going on in there and trying to correct those, I think that requires a lot of introspection and the old the good old detached observer thing that's been described uh, for a long time. And you know, Brian Enos's. Uh, Practical shooting beyond fundamentals, the detached observer, the uh, observing without attachment uh, kind of thing where you, you, you need to just let it happen. You need to recognize what's going on so that you can take corrective action. That doesn't mean right then. You're, you're going to be doing things probably at a pace where, you, you know, you may not be able to correct a mistake before committing the mistake. Right. But uh, paying attention to those subtleties is how you're going to exert pressure on yourself to make them better on the next one. Hmm. Um, so I think you, I think you do have to pay attention to that stuff. I, I think I think that, you know I, I know what you're saying there with the dot. I myself have not put in a lot of time with the dot, but that is the the most persistent, uh, one of the very most persistent things uh, that people contend with in g- getting good with a dot is that you see so much more visual information of gun target alignment. The dot just displays it to you so much more with, with so much more detail and so much more starkly. It's all yeah. just right there. And so a lot of it is that you have to increase your level of faith in essentially the, the wobble zone concept. Yeah. Wobble zone looks a certain way in irons. It looks way worse in a dot. Oh, so yeah. You've got to get used to what that looks like and just pull the trigger. <laughs> well, and it, it's so it's weird. Uh, and Scott Jedlinski is a friend of mine, and he said something, and I think I've said it on a couple shows now, but um, he used an analogy that I like quite a bit, and I actually agree with now that I've done some more work with it. Um, a, a dot gun is kind of like a high performance sports car in that if you know how to drive it, you can do really cool things with it. But if you don't know how to drive it, it's really easy to crash. You know, like if I put the average driver in a, in a Lamborghini and said, here, go drive this as fast as you can, they're going to eat a wall really fast, you know? Um, so, and, and the, the funny thing for me, I guess uh, and and this isn't an episode about dot guns, and and it's more of to a, a different point, I think. But um, it it I am a very controlling person by nature, and the amount of and I know this sounds weird, but the amount of control that I have to let go to shoot a dot gun well is, I think, ultimately beneficial to my shooting. You know, just kind of like you said, like instead of trying to control it while it's happening, just detached observer. You know. Um, how, yeah. do, how do you think, how do you think, 
And do you think it's important to get people to that point? And how would you suggest they do it to where they're just a detached observer? Well, maybe can I can I back up half a step because you Please. said you said kind of the word the word trying, and I think that there, there's a lot of you know shooting is such a such a an area of incredible tiny little physical, mental, and emotional nuance. I mean, all of them, like anything that goes wrong in any of those three areas, you know, you move your finger a little bit, wrong time, shot, totally, totally messed up. Sure. You know, you, you have the wrong mental thought, you know, the wrong, wrong intellectual thought. You're thinking about one thing, you need to be in the process instead of in the outcome or, you know, whatever else that messes you up. The, the emotions involved, you know, fear of failure, fear of success, fear, you know, all, all, the, all that stuff, any of it messes it up. And so it's such a land of nuance that, Sometimes uh, just little subtle differences in intention that can be engendered by even just a word and a, uh, it can be really meaningful. And a word that I heard you say that I think is a really meaningful word in the specific area that we're talking about is the word trying, huh. you know, trying to shoot. Sometimes trying does not work out real well. Yeah. And instead, you know, you kind of need to like maybe not try to bring the front sight back to the target spot because then you shove that front sight a little bit low. Yeah. And in this land of tiny little nuance and subtlety, that little tiny bit low, that little tiny physical nuance can turn into a really messed up shot a little ways downrange. Whereas opposed to uh, maybe, maybe instead of the thought of trying to bring the gun back, maybe the thought of allowing the gun to come back. Huh. Well, we got to go to break. Like the word allow instead of try could make a difference. Huh. We got to go to break. Uh, we're talking with Gabe White right now. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. And it is the season five finale, and we've got Gabe White on, and we're talking to him. And and just in case we run out of time at the end of the show, Gabe, um, thank you so much for for being on uh, on on our season finale. I really do appreciate it. Um, oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great great to be on the show. No, um, so and you said something interesting as far as the difference between. Trying and allowing, and it was it was weird because I was um, uh, I, I happened to get a practice session in the other day, and I, I had some video running, and I tried uh, the keeper's test, which is um, you know uh, three rounds onto a, a three by five at seven yards, um, and I, I ran the first one, and I want to say it was a um, you know like a a, a one. Uh, a one seven six or maybe a one nine six. I don't remember what. And I dropped a I dropped a shot so low that instead of in the three by five, it was in like the top of the uh, the eight inch circle on a on a PT target. And I'm like, 
Uh, and I was I was actively thinking about it when I was doing it, and I immediately ran a second one and shot it clean, um, like in a one eight five, which it was funny to me though because like that thought process in there, and it was weird too because I remember shooting it going, um, I wasn't really thinking about what I was doing. I wasn't really honestly paying much attention at all. And I know that sounds odd, but the one where I had removed myself from the process seemed to go much better. And I was, I'm like, I, I hit all three shots. I'm like, oh, that was, that felt fast. And I looked, I'm like, that, that was, that was pretty quick, you know? Yeah. So that's, that sound, you know, I have, I have like so many thoughts stemming off of just that one thing that you said, uh, you know, I think that's a that's a prime example of exactly kind of what I mean. Um, I think you could apply this idea to lots of different sub aspects of shooting, but that's a prime example uh, of it. Of you know, you're trying, maybe doesn't go so well. Uh, maybe a little more relaxation, a little bit less trying, a little bit more allowing. However, it is that a person thinks of that. That's just, those, that, those are just the ter- some of the terms I think in is all um, that maybe that ends up leading to a better outcome. And I think that. The specific example you just gave is a perfect example of something else uh, that is very related to throwing off the yoke of low expectations because that's very related to a specific thing. Okay. And that is uh, people inherently seeing a connection between time and accuracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is very normal and natural and intuitive to think. Uh, that in order to be more accurate, you are going to take more time. And in order to uh, be faster, then you're going to be less accurate. That's a very intuitive idea that a lot of people have developed. And I'm not even saying there isn't some practical truth to it, because at some point I'm sure that we could measure a lot of shooting on this target versus that target and find exactly that relationship. However, many of us have had precisely the experience that you just described, where you go shoot something and you have some intention. I want to go fast. I'm trying really Real hard. I want to get a good result. Some sort of outcome-oriented thinking, outcome fo- some sort of an outcome focus, right? Yep. And then uh, you do it again, and this time, instead of saying, I want to go fast or I want to you know, bring the gun back real aggressively, instead, you go want the process. You, you, are go, you go into it process-focused, and in this, that's very largely, I want to see the sights on the target zone, and I want to run the trigger straight back. Yeah. Then you go do those things or focused on the process elements instead of the outcome, and then maybe you get like exactly the result you want and you look at the timer and a lot of times it's like not slower. It's the same speed or it's even faster because all you did was do it better and cut out more of the garbage that didn't need to be in there. Right. Right. Um, and it's so I I don't know if you're the same way or not, but I have particular areas of, um, you know, skill where I know that I tend to perform better than better than average. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, draws to a three by five. I'm pretty good at generally, mm-hmm. and I've been tracking it for a while. But what's what's curious to me, um, you know, recently, and this this once again goes back into something you were saying. I made an attempt at a fast coin, which was the wrong mental process to be um, to be uh, focused on, probably when I did it. But before that, I was I was training up for it, and um, you know, running running fast. Not not every day, but I, I was running them a lot after doing different practices to see things. And the reason why I bring it up is because for me, my, oh, okay, this is a good time to hit on a fast uh, was like two, 
uh, two rounds into the the three by five around one one eight um, one eight one nine somewhere in there, and I was like, oh, that's good. And it was funny because I had never run the keepers um, test and running it. I mean, and that was pretty much the first time I ran it when I stopped thinking about, well, here's what I'm trying to do and just saw what I could do. Had you asked me six months ago whether or not I would be capable of putting three into a a, a three by five in the same time that I was shooting for two, um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have agreed with you. And I, I think that comes back to that, like you said, maybe the the false relation between accuracy and speed and and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, to get better, I mean, in a way, if we got, you know, shooter X and they can, you know, apply a certain amount of accuracy when we just measure accuracy and they can apply a certain amount of speed when we just measure speed, you know, in order for and then and they can apply a certain combination of the two and maybe they can have more accuracy and less speed, more speed, less accuracy. N- none of that to me is them performing better. Um, those may describe proper aspects of discipline in perform in, in properly applying their existing skill level to the task that has now been presented to them at this moment. That may be the case, but none of those things to me, uh, are describing a more skillful performance, maybe more disciplined, but not a more skillful performance. To get more skill, they need to hit the same target in less time, they need to hit a harder target in the same time, or they need to hit a harder target in less time. That's more skill, and that's what we're after, some combination of those, uh, either or or both. Huh. So, it, I, I gotta say, and I really wish I had spoken with you more, um, like, oh, I don't know, a year ago or whatever, but it, it's funny how um, you're saying things that you say them and they intrinsically make sense to me, and but they're not thoughts that I had necessarily codified. They're not thoughts that necessarily other people bring up, um, and that's kind of that's kind of interesting. And I I had never considered that um, the application of discipline is not necessarily the application of skill. You know, well, you know, people organize those certainly in in very different ways. And I think, uh, so I I wouldn't at all say that the the mental scheme or the mental organization of this that I offer uh, is is inherently right. It just is, it's meaningful to me. I'll say it like that. And I I do think that there's, you know, some value to it, but that's where I've come to uh, a lot. In, In a way, this goes right back to uh, a, a big element of the class that I teach nationally, as well as the presentation that I'm going to have at TACCON, is in working with these two elements. You know, there, there's pushing for skill. There's trying to deepen skill. And that's like, think of the, the thing that's been um, discussed as block performance versus random performance. You're doing the same thing repetitively. You're trying to do it better. You're trying to do it better and better in whatever way we're going to define better. Maybe you're pushing accuracy. Maybe you're pushing time. Maybe you're pushing some combination of the two. But you're doing things that you can't necessarily just automatically do. You're doing things that you can just barely do doing or doing things that you can just barely not quite do because that's where a lot of the action for improvement is. That's where you're going to notice little subtleties of mistakes, not mistakes that you're blowing so badly that you can't even begin to fix them, but mistakes that you're, you know, if, if you're really introspecting and noticing the little subtleties of what you're doing, um, you know, you're going to be making mistakes in that area when you're pushing, but maybe they're smaller mistakes that you can recognize and realistically correct. Oh, no, 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 I got to get my thumb to this spot. No, you can't push with your thumb there, Gabe. You got to stop doing that. You have to hold that thumb stiff and not move that thumb at all. Okay, fix. Now, go on, continue, continue, continue. And uh, I, and I think that, that uh, 
you know, you can, you can push, 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 and that is good, and that helps you break new ground and deepen skill, and that is different from the correct application of your existing skill level, which is that's the pattern that we're very, very, very familiar with in the tactical world because it is so much about accountability, and at the end of the day, you know, you may have all these difficulties. Maybe there's movement. Maybe there's bystanders. Maybe there's cover to be negotiated. Splits, you know what? We don't care about splits. You just need to make the hit, man. At the end of the day, you need to make the hit, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. And they're right. That isn't wrong. That's absolutely right. And that's exactly the reason that the tactical world is the way that it is, because that is the correct, uh, the correct priority, especially in a situation where a person does not have enough trading motivation or resources to, in addition to practicing discipline, they're also going to push and push and push and practice to deepen their skill and work on little nuances and subtleties and try to make themselves better. And then they're also going to spend this whole big boatload of time, ammo, and effort, which not everybody has, on also making sure that they apply that correctly to the task at hand. Yeah. Um, dude, thank you so much. Uh, I I wish we had blocked you out for two episodes. And, and maybe what we'll do is um, I'd like to... It, we'll, we'll talk about your schedule. We, we're at the end of the show. Um, if people want to come take a class with you, which I highly recommend, and it is what I am most looking forward to on our training schedule this year, uh, how can they find you and, and sign up? Just go to GabeWhiteTraining.com and uh, click on the Take a Class with Gabe White button, and you will be taken to a page with links to my various classes and the schedule and all that. Thanks so much, man. Um, oh, I, thanks so much for having me. I would love to come back anytime you want me. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You might be uh, episode one of season six, so we'll <laughs> see. But, hey, guys, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com, like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And, hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. And just real quick, guys, thank you so much for for letting us do what we do. Um, We wouldn't be able to do it without you, and it really means a lot to me. Um, If you guys ever need anything at all, I'm I'm very responsive to messages. Uh, So just just let me know. Uh, but, But thank you. The fact I've gotten to do this for the last five years and coming up on year six it it means the world so uh thanks for listening everyone as always be safe see you next week